Hey, it's an, uh, an honor to be with you today. Uh, this is my home church and has been our home church, my wife and I, for uh, over a year or so. And uh, this is my second time to be up front to preach. I thought at one point I had retired from this, but I'm back. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm honored to, uh, to be in this place and try and just share some things that uh, I think really reflect what, we're try- what we are doing and what we hope to continue to be as the people of God uh, here at Embrace. So we're, we're in a series all through the book of Luke, all year where we've been in Luke. And I, I've learned one thing. I, when I think about what disciple would I most like to have like, hung out with, and, you know, Peter was sort of brash and hardcore, and I, eh, I don't know about that. Although it had been fun watching him get humbled. I don't know. It might not have been good. Uh, but I think it's Luke now I, I, because I've spent a lot of time, and we're spending that time each uh, morning, each Sunday morning. And so this morning, I want to read a passage to you uh, that comes from Luke chapter 14. We're going to read verse 1 and then start in 7 and go through 14 because there's an intermittent story that kind of, kind of we don't, we don't really, doesn't really fit in the parable. We're focused on a parable this morning. And the goal of a parable, Jesus used a lot of them, something like 49 in Scripture. Luke has 16 that are unique to Luke. And Luke has some of the ones we remember most, like uh, the prodigal son. Uh, and uh, the Good Samaritan. So uh, stories were what Jesus told. And so this morning I'm going to do a little setup, and then I'm going to tell a couple of stories that I think can help us really get our hearts and minds around what I think the Scripture is trying to say to us today. But we begin in Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being watched carefully. When he noticed how guests picked the place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowliest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brother, your sister, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may, they may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your presence with us always. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to worship. That God, you created this so we could be renewed and strengthened and challenged. And we do that as we truly open our hearts to you. So in this moment, Lord, uh, we just open our hearts and minds to what you would say to us through your Holy Spirit. Because you are the only one who really knows us and calls us to be what you want us to be, each of us, uniquely designed as we are, I ask that you would speak to each of us in some way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The parable that we just read is one of Luke's big themes. It is Jesus at the table sharing life with people. I mean, I don't know if Jesus was just hungry all the time or it was just like, I mean, I mean, this is, this is all the way through his gospel in a number of places. 
Luke contains more stories of, of Jesus at the table with people than the other three Gospels. Jesus was popular, and people wanted to be near him. And the reason is, Jesus didn't stand afar. Jesus moved among people. Most of his ministry is spent, he's going along the way, and somebody speaks up, or somebody asks a question, or he's at an event, and then Jesus teaches. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus had a promoter, and they'd rent out the uh, Holy Land Coliseum, and then the Jerusalem ticket masters would, would sell tickets. It didn't work that way. Jesus moved among people. That's why he knows human nature. That's why he knows us better than we even know ourselves. He spent time with people. And at the table's important, because think about it. So many of our celebrations, uh, not just among church people, although the church is really good at this, we have a major celebration. What's one of the things we always have? We have food. That's right. We have chicken tenders, basically. But anyway, and green beans, or maybe ham. Anyway, we have food. That's exactly right. I want you to see in, in Luke's gospel how important this is. First of all, in Luke 5, we read this. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So in 14.1, which I read for you, Jesus is with a prominent religious figure, a Pharisee. Now he's with a tax collector. In their culture, a tax collector, they were, they were hated. Uh, they were the IRS. Not that we all hate the IRS. But they were hated because they collected what was owed to the government that they were going to pass to the government, but they skimmed off the top, and they kept part for themselves. And so, in essence, you know, Jesus now is hanging out with the mafia of the day, you know? I mean, thank you for that. Thank you. I had laugh right here. No, I didn't. So, so there's all kinds, all kinds of people. That's chapter 5. Now let's go to the very last chapter of Luke. And it's the story of Jesus. He has been crucified, resurrected. He's on the road to Emmaus, a town. And there are two people walking along, and um, they're sad. They're grieving over what took place. And all of a sudden, the stranger starts walking with them, and they don't recognize who the stranger is. Somehow, you know, it's Jesus in his resurrected body, and there's a lot of mystery here, and they don't recognize him. Maybe it was their grief, among other things. And uh, Jesus says to them, I love this, like, he already knows what they've been talking about. He's Jesus, right? He says to them, what have you all been talking about? And they said, oh, you, you don't know? And they explain to Jesus everything that's happened to Jesus. Interesting. And then they get to where they're going, and, um, and they're, they're getting ready to, you know, you know, they're getting ready to stop and spend the night or whatever into their home, whatever it was. They know they stopped their journey. And Jesus was going to keep on going, except they invited him back. They said, oh, don't leave. Stay with us. Still, they do not know it's Jesus. And then I want to read to you these two verses from chapter 24, uh, 30 and 31 of Luke. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened. What do you think of when you hear he took the bread, he blessed, he broke it, he gave it to them? What's that sound like? Communion, right. What we're going to do at the end of this service today, which we do every week, we come to the table. 
in the early church, they took this idea of being at the table and, and lived it out the way Jesus had presented it. That the sacred is not separated um, from the ordinary. They're together. That somehow sharing food is a, is a special thing. It draws us closer together. Something sacred is happening. And so the, the thought is, every time we have a meal, it can be thought of as Christ present with us. Now, Christ is always present, but there's something about being at the table with other people. That's why for any significant celebration, there's food. It does something for us that we can't fully describe. And so we go to chapter 14, our text. So we're at 5, we're at 24. Right in the middle of that is the story we're reading today. And it's a reminder to us that sharing in life, it's the ordinary things. It's the ordinary day. It's the ordinary life that we have that Christ is constantly breaking in on. We don't have to be in a special place. Christ is there and at work in our lives, in our families, in our hurts, in our sorrows, in our wins, in our losses. The pandemic has been hard for a lot of reasons, and we could name some of those. But you know, I think one of the toughest has been, early on anyway, we, we weren't able to gather in community for celebrations of, of any sort, really, when it was really intense, and, and we weren't able to eat together. Um, Saturday a week ago, our neighborhood, the neighborhood we live in here in Lexington, we've been here since 2019, so we sort of moved in, and we have several neighborhood events um, you know, throughout the year, but we weren't doing any of those, and so we didn't do the annual picnic. But Saturday a week ago, we got to do the annual picnic, and I'm telling you what, I didn't think I was all that big on going to a potluck because I've been to so many. I'm, I spent 40 years as a pastor, okay? Yeah, you don't stay thin doing that. Since I retired, I had to lose some weight, basically. But anyway, um, I, it, it, just, it just struck me how joyous it was just to be together and share a meal. And I mean, we had a tremendous meal. Uh, we had kids there with balloons. It was, a, it was, a, it was ordinary, but it, to me it was life-giving. And it wasn't just life-giving for the extroverts. I think even the introverts were excited. And after it was over, we were getting, getting ready to leave. It's about 8 o'clock. A neighbor that I didn't know, my wife knew uh, the wife that invited us, uh, Jane, said, why don't you all come over to our house uh, out on the back deck? And they invited about 10 other people and 12 of us. Now listen, I, I'm not going to tell you I go to bed early, but I, I go to bed kind of early. I was walking home at 11.45 at night. Oh yeah, my 88-year-old mother who lives with us was like, where you been? <laughs> the other thing that's major for Luke is this idea of lifting up the lowly. And, and these go together. Again, Jesus works in the flow of of people's lives. Whatever. Whatever. Is in the flow of your life this morning. Whether you're low. Or you're excited. Because something great has happened. That's worth celebrating. Whether it's just like doing life day after day. And it's kind of a rut. Whatever it is. You're not alone. Christ is at work 
as a, his follower, he's doing something in you, in us, at all times. And I think that's so clear in Scripture. And so Luke's other theme is this. I want us to read this. Uh, can you put uh, verse 152 on the screen? I think it might be. There it is right there. Let's read this together. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. In chapter 1 of Luke, the very beginning, right? This is Mary. She's been told she's going to conceive the Savior. And this is her song. And it, it lists the ways that God comes to the lowest, to the forgotten, to the outcast, to the left out, to the overlooked. I mean, it was so clear from the very beginning that Jesus wanted to see us be people of compassion and concern. I see a loss of that in our world, in our, in our country. There's a danger in ignoring the needy and the hurting. And it's not just not ignoring. Jesus wants us to find life-giving ways to help, holistic ways to help, thoughtful ways to help. Well, again, in the Gospels, Jesus sometimes speaks directly to someone. Sometimes He directly commends someone. Sometimes He directly calls someone out. I mean... Uh, this idea that Jesus is just meek and mild and that's all is, is not, not accurate. Sometimes Jesus is so strongly defends those who are the weakest, those who are struggling the most in a society that certainly wanted to overlook them. But Jesus, in my mind, He was continuing to call us to help, to do something. And so, here, particularly in Mary's song, we see the very beginning of Luke, he sets this stage for what he's going to be about. All people. Pharisee, who's a religious, hyper-religious person who's got it wrong, um, a tax collector who's despised by society, to those that were pushed to the edges of life. Jesus told these stories, so ordinary, these the parables, so ordinary everyday people could say, wow, where am I in this? Here's the thing about a parable. It, it has to sneak up on you. You know, you don't preach verse by verse on a parable because it destroys it. It's about a story. And that's exactly what happened in this story. It snuck up on me. I mean, John called me a week ago Friday and asked me if I'd preach today. And I said I'd be honored to anything I can do to help. I'll be glad to do it. And he texted me the scripture. And I gave it a quick read on Friday, and, and here's the verse that stuck out to me when I read it. It's verse 11 of chapter 14. I think it'll be on the screen. I'll read it whether it's on the screen or not. Luke 14, 11 says this, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Read it with me. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So if we exalt ourselves. Now here's our, here was my kind of stumbling block. I don't use the, I don't use the word like, who goes around saying, I think I'm going to exalt myself, right? So, so you can kind of read it and go, well, this story isn't really for me. I don't do that. But in my praying over this, I thought of some subtle ways. You don't have to raise your hand during this time. Some subtle ways that I think we exalt ourselves, and we probably would be helpful to look at that. It was interesting when I went to the potluck, I kind of had this verse in mind, and I didn't 
I wasn't as astute as Jesus. You know, since Jesus was really paying attention to what people were doing at the big banquet. But because I ended up at the back of the line, I do think some people were very stealthy about getting in front of me. I don't know that for sure. I might be judging them. Ways that we may exalt ourselves. Let me mention a couple. One is by being hypercritical of others. Gosh, this is a world of who can we criticize next? How can we build someone up to tear them down? And we can do it in every area of life. You know, as a parent, we see someone else parent, we go, I don't know, I wouldn't have said that. Um, You know, and yet, maybe we don't know their situation, you know? I got to thinking about things my parents used to say, uh, not mean things, but little sayings, like, but I had no idea what it meant. Like, I'd be acting out, and my dad would say, don't get too big for your britches. First of all, I have no idea what britches were. Anybody else heard that saying? You had that? Had that said? All right. I could name others, and you go, yeah, I probably heard that. And, and when we started our parenting, I was like, I got a list of things I'm not going to say to my kids. And then I'd get upset, and I'd say one of them. There's my dad right there. Just came out of me. Didn't know it was going to happen. We can just be hypercritical in so many different ways. And um, evaluating things, uh, being honest, really important. But just to criticize for the sake of criticizing, because what we're doing is, in some ways, building ourselves up by tearing other people down. A second thing we sometimes do is what I call image management. You know what image management is? It's like trying to make ourselves look better than we really are. it's, It's a dangerous thing, and yet it can slip into your life so easily, um, it's, it's to, to think, well, I'm, you know, in our own thoughts, uh, I'm probably the smartest person in the room, or um, I'm pretty spiritual and make ourselves out, use the right language to make ourselves out. One of my issues is I think I'm funny, and it's a problem. It really is. You laugh at me, I feel better, but have you ever said something that as soon as it came out, before it even got all the way out of your mouth, you wanted to, take, you wanted to get it back? Could you raise your hand? I just had one hand. Right. Okay, all right, we got all human beings here. Okay, that's good. All right, my wife and I were um, living in Bowling Green at the time, a church we served over 20 years, and we were walking along. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was, it was early summer. It wasn't real hot yet, and, you know, we were... We were just, you know, we'd been inside. There's an inside part. And we were going out to the outside part. And we just, I just took her hand for a minute, you know, just wasn't really holding hands, but just took her hand for a moment just to say, hey, honey, you know, don't forget I'm a great husband. You know, something like that, something humble. And we, we were, just walked a short distance to the next kind of stand there. And there was a couple behind us. I didn't know them. And I let go of her hand, and she was walking over to look at someone's produce. And the lady, sweet lady behind us, uh, said to me, said, you all look like just you're a really sweet couple. And that was a nice thing to say. But here's what came out of my mouth. Don't tell her about my other wife. I'm serious, folks. I know. I need to get on the altar today. I know it. And she was such a woman of moral character. You know what she did? She slapped my face. I'm serious. Turned my head. And then the moment she did it, she panicked. 
because it was like, I think she let up on it toward the end because I didn't have a red mark. But she was just dying over me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, ma'am, I deserved every bit of it. I'm sure you don't get yourself in those situations. But we get ourselves in trouble sometimes, don't we? Hypercritical, image management. But I think one of the biggest ones in general is comparing ourselves to other people. Because in comparing ourselves to others, what we're doing is we're sucking the joy out of our own life. And again, it's, it's just so easy to do. It's tricky. It's a tricky thing. Because we can try and build ourselves up by being critical, or we can see someone else and compare ourselves and feel terrible about ourselves. But let me, let me get to where I'm going. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live as those who have been set free to live our lives before God without concern in the eyes of others. That is a great challenge to say, my identity, I'm not going to let someone else steal my identity. I'm going to be God who you created me to be. And so to have that freedom in your life to where you're not you know, trying to keep a bunch of rules where you're not trying to analyze everything you might say because like me, you might stick your foot in your mouth sometimes. The freedom to be yourself. I like the message paraphrase of this passage. It's of 11 and 12 in chapter 14. Um, it says this. Eugene Peterson writes it this way. What I'm saying is if you w walk around all high and mighty, you're going to fall flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more of yourself. Now, that's not some pop psychology. That's saying that our identity is in that we are eternally loved by God. And as His followers, the real goal is to grow deeper in our faith so that we're less influenced by those things and more influenced by His presence, His Spirit at work in us. That's the goal. It's a powerful thing. I titled the sermon, Downward Mobility, because it's so typical to want to run faster, jump higher, get up the ladder. Those aren't bad things in and of themselves. To be motivated, to be ambitious, but too ambitious is dangerous. And so somehow it is to be fully alive in Christ so we're not looking at what others have or don't have or we're not longing to be recognized. We're not trying harder and harder and harder, trying to move upward when Jesus moved in a different direction. And I want to close with this. Um, on Father's Day was the last time I preached here. As a matter of fact, it was the last time I preached in a good while. And after today, you understand why. Um, but my three grandsons were here. That was really, really cool. Four, eight, and ten. That's why I moved to Lexington. And my wife was in the very, very back on the floor with our four-year-old trying to keep our four-year-old, you know, from running up here and grabbing me or doing who knows what. And um, finally she noticed he, he was pointing at something. He was getting restless. And he was, he was acting like he was going to get up and, uh, and move, actually, like come forward. And so he's looking up here. And this, this wooden cross wasn't here. He was looking up here, and he said, to my wife, whose uh, grandparent name is Happy. Is that a great grandparent name or what? I know. I know. It's, it's not 
we haven't branded it. You can use it. But anyway. Um, he said, Happy, I'm going up there and get that trophy. And she realized he was talking about this brass cross. Now, he has older brothers. And even at four, he's thinking, how can I get the biggest trophy in the house? Right? He was getting ready to come up and grab a hold of it while I was preaching. And she pulls him back. And she explains to him, this is Jesus' trophy. (laughs) We're going to come to the table in just a moment. In our seats, but we're going to take Holy Communion. This, this ordinary, in a way, kind of thing that is made special by the fact that the resurrected Jesus, as He joined those two persons on the road to Emmaus, joins us in a, in a powerful way. It's not just a ritual. Something else, is, more is going on when we come to this table than we realize. But first I want to read this text. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ. Now remember, Jesus was up, He came down. In your relationships, have the same mind. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider consider equality with God something to use to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. The text goes on to say, therefore God exalted him. And when we humble ourselves, we find that true for us as well. Humble doesn't mean beat yourself up, feel bad about yourself. It means recognize that God's at work in the flow of your life. None of it's, you know, just normal life. And the other sacred parts when I come to church, it's all sacred. And God wants to work in us to grow us deeper, to take us not just up one day, but to take us down to the things that really matter in life.